The King Must Be Obeyed by Norman Hunter. How many L's are there in salute? asked the King of Grampastania, scratching the side of his ear with the end of his pen. Don't you know? said the Queen, who didn't know either, but wasn't going to say so. Yes, yes, of course I know, said the King testily, scratching his ear a bit more definitely than he meant to. Of course I know a thing like that, only I've forgotten. Then if you've forgotten, you don't know, said the Queen, who had a pimple on her elbow and felt irritated. Oh, really, Maggie, protested the King. I do think you might try to help. Here's this Oriental naval person coming tomorrow, and I've got orders to send to the Admiral of the Grand Fleet, and more orders to send to the Commander-in-Chief of the Grand Pristanian Guards. All this state business being held up because you don't know how many O's there are in salute. He flung down his pen, which bounced into the waste paper basket, and took down a dictionary to look up salute, and found, of course, that there are no O's in it at all. There now, said His Majesty, searching about for his pen. No wonder I couldn't remember how many there were, when there aren't any. If you really want some help, Percy, said the Queen, I'll write the envelopes for those orders for you. I really will, there now. And picking up the only inkpot on the Imperial writing table, she went across to curl up in her favourite armchair by the fire while she wrote the envelopes. And the king, who still hadn't found his pen, because the queen had discovered it in the waste paper basket without saying anything, had to ring for a footman to go out and buy a pen and a bottle of ink so that he could get some orders done. At last, the queen had interrupted five times, three times to know whether one called an admiral Esquire, and twice to ask if wasn't she a nice, helpful queenie, and the butler had interrupted once with glasses of hot milk for them both, and the Queen's kitten had interrupted about fifteen times by getting himself chased through the room by the King's dog. The orders were written out, one to the Admiral, saying, Take flagship and meet Oriental Nabob ship tomorrow, fire salute of twenty-four guns, and conduct Nabob ashore. The other was to the General, commanding the Grampastanian guard, saying, Form guard of honour with Grampastanian guards at main entrance to palace for Oriental Nabob tomorrow. Thank you, my dear, said the king, taking the envelopes from the queen. Then he folded the orders and put them in the envelopes and sent two heralds off to deliver them. Well, well, that's that, said his majesty, rubbing his hands. But if he had only known that it wasn't that at all, but something quite different... He would have torn all his hair out instead of rubbing his hands, for he had been so bothered about with interruptions and trying to find if there were O's in salute, which there weren't any, that he'd gone and put the Admiral's orders in the General's envelope and the General's orders in the Admiral's envelope. The King's Herald strode into the cabin of the Admiral of the Grand Fleet of Grampastania, feeling ever so nautical after being rowed out to the flagship in a little boat. He hitched up his trousers as he'd seen sailors do and danced a couple of steps at the Grampastanian hornpipe. But it was all wasted, for the Admiral was washing himself and had his face in a basin of water so he didn't see him. But as he was a positively fierce Admiral, perhaps it was just as well, for the Herald didn't want to see him. <coughs> said the Admiral, taking his face out of the basin and puffing spare drops of water all over the place. Now, what's this? 
Orders, sir. Aye, aye, sir, said the herald, handing the envelope to the admiral. He'd hitched up his trousers up again and went back, trailing his hand over the side of the boat all the way. Now, some admirals, if they had been given an order to form a guard of honour with soldiers, would either have thought it was a joke and taken no notice, or else have guessed it was a mistake and asked some questions. But in Grampostania, orders were absolutely orders, and never mind why. Most strange, said the admiral, reading the orders through again. He scratched his head. Then, looking up, his eye caught a motto nailed to the wall of his cabin. Ours not to reason why, ours but to do or die. The admiral had copied it from a book. The king must be obeyed, he cried, as his eye caught it. He sprang to attention, naval fashion, whatever that is, saluted a picture of the king on the wall, kissed the flag of Grandpa Stania on another wall, and went up on deck intending, most certainly, to do but hoping ever so much that he wouldn't die. Into the guardroom of the Grampostanian guards marched the same herald. He clicked his heels and saluted, gave the envelope to the general, clicked his heels again, saluted again, about turned and marched out, smack into the assistant general, who was just coming in. But fortunately, they used to go to school together when they were little, so no harm was done. Good gracious, exclaimed the general when he read in his orders that he had to take flagships and fire salutes and naval things like that. But he too was a bit of a one for obeying orders and no questions asked. He too glanced at the motto on his wall which he'd copied from the one on the admiral's wall one day when he was there to tea with him. The king must be obeyed, he cried. Then he clicked his heels ever so much more clickily than the herald, because he'd had more practice, and muttering the first bars of the Grampostanian national anthem under his breath, he went out to obey the unlikely and unexpected commands of the king. Next day, the queen had everyone in the palace ready for the arrival of the oriental nabob, simply hours too soon, partly because she always kept all the clocks fast as she liked to know that she had more time than she thought, and partly because the nabob was so frightfully important. And, of course, the more important people are, the earlier one gets ready for their arrival. Nobody knows why, but there it is. But whatever sorts of bother the king and queen had had getting ready for the Maybob, they were absolutely less than nothing compared with the positively ding-dong, hallmark, genuine and absolutely outsized kinds of bother the admiral was having with the soldiers and the general with the sailors. To begin with, the general came aboard the flagship on his horse, and as horses are deliberately unsuitable on battleships, that was bad enough. Then he started to drill the sailors with army drill, which very few of them understood, and none of them even tried to do properly. At last, he got them all in a long line and gave them the order, Quick march! Forgetting he wasn't on a whopping big parade ground, but on a ship. And before he could stop them, every one of those sailors had quick marched over the side, splosh, splash, into the sea, where they splashed about trying to keep in line, but not getting anywhere near succeeding. And while they were all in the water, the lookout on the mast sighted the nabob's ship. He recognised it at once because it looked more like almost anything else but a ship, and chiefly like a cinema or a most exaggerated birthday cake. He shouted down to the general, but the general wasn't used to being shouted at. 
Come here and deliver your message properly, he called. So the lookout man had to slide whiz down the mast, which wore his trousers out very slightly. Only, as they were worn out rather exceedingly, Bat finished them off and they came in holes. My bob ship on the port bar, sir, said the sailor, saluting. Why don't you click your heels, said the general. But of course, the sailor couldn't because he had no shoes or socks on. Sailors never do if they can help it, and his little pink bare heels wouldn't click. You couldn't expect them to. The general was just going to shout an order when he thought he could do it better if he got off his horse first. But he very soon found he couldn't do it better at all that way because the horse was standing near the side of the ship and the general got off him at that side and went splash into the sea among the sailors while the man at the wheel of the flagship, not having any orders, just put his helm over hard anything he could think of and went round in circles. Then the man at the engines shot up on deck thinking a shipwreck was happening and dived overboard too. By the time the general, who couldn't swim much unless he had one foot on the bottom, had got himself rescued and everyone else back on the ship again, it was time for the 24 guns. But the general was so flurried and wet and anxious to do anything right that he did it all wrong. And all the guns went off together instead of one at a time and nearly sank the flagship. And worst of all, only some of the guns were supposed to be fired for the salute. The others had real shells in them, ready in case of war, and two gold pinnacles and a large piece of what looked like marzipan icing were knocked off the nabob's ship. It was easily the best shot the Grampostanian navy had ever made, probably because they didn't mean it. Many shouts came from the nabob's ship, and the sailors began going up and down on deck, all frenzied. "'My goodness!' gasped the general." But he had no time to grasp any more, because just then he was seasick. Goodness knows what would have been the end of it all, only happily some other battleships happened to be about, and they came up and managed to get the Mabob landed. In the palace, the king, who'd been walking about and sitting down by turns, jumped a yard in the air when he heard all twenty-four guns go off at once. "'Great Rampersdownian grandmothers!' he exclaimed. Whatever is that? Note of us firing, I expect, said the queen, powdering her nose for the eighty-somethingth time. But the king dashed to the window and fell back in dismay on top of the queen, who had dashed up behind him to look over his shoulder. Oh, shouted his majesty when he had got himself sorted. But this is awful. Those orders I sent, either someone has been funny with them, or there were mutinies and things happening. Look! Down the drive, leading to the main entrance of the palace, was supposed to be drawn up the guard of honour for the Maybob. But good gracious, it had been drawn too much up. All the soldiers were up in the trees with boots off. The admiral was no more used to drilling soldiers than the general to drilling sailors, and he sent them all up aloft like sailors. We must stop it! We must stop it! cried his majesty distractedly. Quick, quick, get in some herald and send them out with some orders. Fetch someone and tell them something. Where's my state sword? Oh, dear. But there was no time to do anything and no time to fetch anyone. For just then, with a most terrific din of assorted 
oriental something or other music, along came the nabob, seated on a green elephant. It was an ordinary grey one, but he'd had it painted so as to be unusual, and accompanied by dancing girls, fortune tellers, flower strewers, road sweepers, head cooks and bottle washers, to say nothing of factotums, teetotums, what's-his-names, thingamabobs, hody callums and gadgety pushers. He was also accompanied by one small boy who had got away from his mother and was trying to give a bun to the green elephant. Your Excellency, said the king, when the nabob was ushered into his presence. Oh, how can I express my regrets at this most inexcusable uh, uh, mess-up, said the queen. Shush, said the king, nudging her so that she had to powder her nose again. This, uh, I mean, soldiers of treason, all that. Really, Excellency, some unfriendly agency, I fear, has been at work too... Two, uh, two, two, three, four, five, said the queen. But at that moment, in came the general, still sopping wet, and the admiral, still quite dry, of course. They saluted and handed the king the orders he had sent them with done, written in one corner. The king looked at them a few times. Then, with a hoarse cry, he staggered to his feet. Oh, oh, most excellent excellencies, it... It has all been my own fault. Alas, and woe is me. Ah, might I ask what has been your majesty's own fault? Asked the nabob, speaking the king's language most beautifully, because he was learned. Oh, oh dear, oh dear, groaned the king. Those soldiers up trees and whatever must have happened on the flagship and about the salute guns. Oh, oh. Oh, all that, said the nabob, smiling and showing ever so many more teeth than you would expect anyone to have. Well, I must say, I thought it was going rather far shooting pieces off my ship, though it does look a bit like an Aunt Sally. But my people like it, you know, just as they like to see me on a green elephant. It gets rather trying being oriental at times, even when you're used to it. But... As to all the rest, why, we had rather fun chasing your ship, and why shouldn't soldiers go up trees? They were nicely out of the way of my elephant there. Well, I never, gasped the king. Your Excellency is most nice, but surely your Excellency jokes. I should say I do, said the nabob. Have you heard this one? and he at once proceeded to tell the king and the queen no end of such catastrophically funny stories that very soon both of them were absolutely rolling on the throne with laughter, and the queen's robe split up the back four times and had to be secretly sewn up on her again. Well, it's a remarkably fortunate thing for us that the nabob turned out to be such a jolly sort of person, said the king afterwards. But for goodness sake, Maggie, next time I have orders to send out... Don't you go writing the envelopes. I shouldn't have mixed them up if you'd let me alone. Oh, that's right, said the Queen. Blame me for it all, just because I tried to help. And she began to cry. There, there, said the King. I didn't mean it. And they kissed and made up. But the Queen's idea of making it up includes an enormous box of chocolates, three new hats, a bottle of perfume, and two visits to the pictures in the most expensive seats. <laughs> <laughs>